Hello. All right. I'm Patrick Svitek. I'm a uh, political reporter with the Texas Tribune. On behalf of the Tribune, I uh, am excited to welcome you to the sixth annual Texas Tribune Festival and to our panel today, the trumping of the Republican primary. I'm joined by <laughs> three. <laughs> it's a great name. We're all. It's great. <laughs> we can't wait to discuss it. <laughs> oh, hey, there's microphones. There we go. I'm joined by uh, three strategists who worked for Donald Trump's uh, rivals in the primaries. Uh, starting on, at the end here, we have Sarah Flores, who is a deputy campaign manager for Carly Fiorina. We have uh, Jason Johnson, chief strategist for Ted Cruz's campaign. And we have uh, Rob Johnson, who is a senior advisor uh, to Rick Perry's campaign. So just a little housekeeping. Uh, Did he run this time? <laughs> <laughs> about a year ago this time, okay. I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> Last trip fest, I think, that's when we talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> this panel will last uh, 60 minutes, um, and it will include about 15 to 20 minutes of uh, questions from the audience. Uh, we'll have microphones around the room, so um, mm. when you're uh, directed to do so, you can just step to the microphone, and we'll try to answer as many questions uh, as possible. Um, I advise everybody to try to keep their questions uh, short and sweet so we can get to uh, as many as possible before the end of our uh, hour uh, runtime. Uh, before we begin, I'd just like to remind audience members to silence their cell phones. If you'd like to tweet about this panel, the hashtag is simply hashtag TTF. All right. So I think it, <laughs> it would be a bit of an understatement uh, to say that Senator Cruz yesterday kind of shook up the focus of this panel. What did he do? <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody here miss it? Are we sure? Y'all got it? Okay. So I want to obviously start with you, Jason. Uh, Senator Cruz came out yesterday and after months of holding out announced his support uh, for Donald Trump, the Republican presidential nominee. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that decision-making process was like for him and also what input uh, you gave him? <laughs> we can go, uh, go, go straight to the heart of the matter there. Right? It's only a 60-minute panel. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> Have you ever had a conference call with yeah. Cruz? <laughs> So, you know, 25 or in the, the short, I guess we're entering, you know, hour number 20, 25 or 26 since the announcement was made. So there's been plenty of public commentary uh, on the matter. What I would say is that, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing that was absolutely true that a lot of people found to be uh, very important uh, was the fact that all of the candidates in the beginning, in debate number one, the, the first debate that was hosted by Fox News, uh, made a pledge to support the eventual nominee, regardless of who the nominee might be. And additionally, <laughs> well... We weren't in that debate. Yeah, I'd say it depends, it depends <laughs> on if you're on the big stage or not, I guess, right? Right? Yeah, okay, kitty table's fun at yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I might say I wish we'd have been at that table. <laughs> And then Maybe eventually, yeah, I think now we are. <laughs> and then eventually, you know, also signing a written pledge. And so, you know, when you strip away all the commentary, the people who are very pleased with the decision, the people who are saddened by this decision at the end of the day, that was the thing that, that most informed the decision. Are you pleased with the decision yourself? You know, I, I don't make it a habit of, 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 you know, talking about what I'm pleased and not pleased with uh, in public <laughs> because, frankly, my opinion doesn't much matter. Uh, what I do is I offer my advice uh, for, to, to whoever I'm working for and, and hope they take it. And at the end of the day, they do or they, they don't. And I, I, I understand without question, Patrick. Uh, both sides of the argument. I understand this has been a, a for whatever reason, a, a very, in a, an election that has brought out a lot of passion uh, and uh, frankly a lot of emotion uh, for a lot of folks because the stakes are really high after, after the last eight years. Uh, and as such, I mean, there's no question I've heard in the last 24 hours from a lot of friends, a lot of people who I, who, who I know and uh, all time who are saddened by the decision and same time I've heard from a lot of folks who uh, or very, very pleased with the decision. Uh, the, the, the one thing I can say is that uh, opinions are very firm on both sides. As like many things this election cycle, I Ooh, Exactly, exactly. Sarah and Rob, you guys uh, obviously had other candidates, um, but your candidates uh, ultimately supported Ted Cruz, at least at some point. What, what did you guys make of the endorsement uh, as, again, people who had candidates who were supporting Ted Cruz and working to, to help him get elected? 
So I come from a mixed family right now. My mother's a Trump supporter, my father's <laughs> not. Uh, so I just think that this, at this point in the election, particularly after convention, it has put conservatives in a horrible position. And um, I think right after convention, it was a little bit different. There was this sense that, you know, who knows what Hillary would really make of this. The last six weeks has made that intolerable as well. Um, and so I, I, I'm sort of with you in the sense that, like, it's hard to judge someone on either side of this debate because the choices are, are pretty awful if you're a, a principled conservative looking at your options right now. So... Uh, the political ramifications, we'll see. I don't think we'll know for about another year. I think anyone who tells you they know what the world's going to look like in a year politically um, is lying. But, <laughs> but as far as the principle of the decision, I think that's real tough. Mm -hmm. Rob, what did you think of the endorsement? <clears throat> um, I, I think it's hard to add more than what Sarah said. I mean, I, I, I think she's right. Uh, where I do think... I love it when he says that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it... Uh, <laughs> We're only like seven minutes in. <laughs> uh, is that all? Uh, you know, I, I think where Senator Cruz, you know, he had a list, I think, of six uh, principles uh, that led him toward this decision. You know, he, he stood up in front of millions, uh, and it took uh, guts uh, at the convention in Cleveland to say, vote your conscience. And I, I, I think of all those six, I think the Supreme Court... Yeah. Uh, is the most compelling uh, reason to, uh, to, to support Donald Trump. Um, I, I think we know, as conservatives and Republicans, we know what kind of uh, justices that Hillary Clinton will appoint. Uh, we don't necessarily know what kind Donald Trump will appoint. However, he did give a list, and he gave Ted, or Senator and Cruz. In another list. In another list, but this new <laughs> list apparently is the real list. And he gave uh, his word to Senator Cruz that he's going to pick people from that list. And so I think that's a compelling argument and, uh, and, and something, in my opinion... List exclusively. No. <laughs> Sir? Uh, not even a... What? No. What? no. Jason? <laughs> what no. about the last year? His... Okay. But, uh, but, I, but I'm hopeful. I mean, there was a good list. Sure. I mean, it... It, it was a great list that he didn't write. Who can, yeah, but he, I don't know if he can write. <laughs> This is going to be easier than I thought. <laughs> so, I mean, on, on the issue of the court, the, there's no question. I mean, look, my starting position, I think, is very similar to a lot of people's starting positions. If I ever 100% trust any politician, then shame on me. I mean, there's a role for all of us to play. We all play different roles. We play roles as voters. We play roles as activists. We play roles in whatever you call us. Uh, Etc. Uh, and a, and a he, big he part like of that role. He gestured at me, though. Yeah, I did both. I did both. <laughs> he did it, though. I got oh, gestured. I got gestured. Big hands. That I get it. He, <laughs> Donald Trump has at least publicly, which is a start, as Rob said, uh, issued a list and, and has committed mm -hmm. that he will pick from that list and only that list. None of us know if at the end of the day he will do that, but we all have a role to play regardless of which side of the equation you fall on, uh, to hold any politician, elected official, candidate accountable to the commitments that they make publicly. And only time will tell. Okay. I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to this, but it kind of, the, the original right. kind of, <laughs> are you surprised? Um, the original starting point uh, for the discussion, I think today, was kind of looking at the arc of this Republican primary. You guys are all involved in it uh, very deeply. Um, kind of, I wanted to gauge your impressions of Donald Trump's candidacy kind of from the beginning and then how it, it changed over time. Because obviously everybody, including um, elected officials, people working on campaigns, and even reporters, um, discounted him from the beginning. Um, what was your initial impressions of his candidacy on that, that day he rode down the escalator in, in New York? <laughs> and then how did those impressions change in the following weeks and months? What was that, that evolution like inside your guys' campaigns or just inside your own, your own head? You can, go, you can go first. Yeah. Um, we'll let you go first. Thanks. Great. <laughs> I'll set the tone. Um, so, I, you know, I think it was it was it was kind of fun. I mean, I remember when he finally made the decision. We all kind of laughed about it. We thought this is going to be hilarious for a couple of weeks, and then he'll be gone. Um, and you know, sat at the table thinking that. I mean, I I, I doubt that their impression was dissimilar. Like, I remember being at a, a forum in South Carolina, 
and there was a heckler out there and Donald Trump was speaking and he goes, hey, you're fired. And I was like, that's hilarious. Like, this guy's going to be great. And then uh, it went from funny to serious. Um, and I think later we're going to get into whether the campaigns decided to engage or not engage. And uh, Rick Perry's campaign d did engage. And I'll talk about that later. But I think the initial impression was like, this will be great. And, you know, when he's out, we'll go meet with him and try to get a donation. I mean, that's honest. Yeah, Jason, how did it differently gauge his viability as a candidate? Well, I'll agree, though. I'll say it differently. It was very entertaining from day one, which when you know, you're on a, an intense campaign, you, you pretty much welcome any form of entertainment if it's good entertainment. But, but I, I took it somewhat seriously from the beginning, uh, only because, not so much because of Trump, but because of the frankly, the, the conditions and, and the attitudes and the, uh, what I believe are very legitimate frustrations that existed and, and still exist among a large uh, percentage of voters in this country. And um, while you certainly, and, and I did and still do, disagree with uh, the way that, that he talks about a lot of the issues, it was pretty obvious from day one that he was tapping into, whether it was healthy, not healthy, really didn't matter. It was legitimate. He was tapping into a very legitimate anger and frustration uh, that existed among a, a significant percentage of voters throughout the country. And as mm -hmm. such, uh, it, it, I tried not to take it seriously. I'm not going to lie about that. I, I wanted to just mm -hmm. pretend it would go away. And, and I'm sure that there were days that I thought, oh, yeah, this will go away. Mm -hmm. uh, but on balance, it, it, was, it, it was, seemed pretty uh, serious and represented a, a threat from day one. So from, from day one, a constant in the Cruz campaign was recognizing at least the passions and concerns Certainly. that he, was, he could speak to, the Certainly. environment. Sarah, how did you guys initially react? Because they actually had the funding to like research that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we were on a shoestring. Uh, we started out with extraordinarily low name ID, mm -hmm. which was um, a challenge and a fun one on our side because we knew the talent that we had in Carly Fiorina. And so I remember we were in New York the day that he announced at a different event. And, um, <laughs> Thank and you. I, That's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking, um, oh God, this sucks up all the thought. Uh, like a prescient thought, it turned out. But I, I also thought uh, we were in Las Vegas when the McCain thing happened. We had landed, the, the Megyn Kelly comment had happened while we were in a plane. I remember landing and seeing that. I have these like very visceral memories of some of the stuff. And, um, and I remember realizing that the press, I didn't think was especially from the Megyn Kelly thing, going, oh God, they're not gonna do their job. Like, they're not, they don't know how to do this. Because he kept moving from one thing to another and they would follow him on the next thing instead of staying on whatever it was. And so he then got the other one behind him and so he was on to the next one. Um, and the whole time, Carly won the, the kitty table debate in Cleveland where y'all all raised your hand. Um, <laughs> And in 48 hours, he had said the Megyn Kelly thing. And I, I do remember this feeling of, oh, shit. Uh, because that was it. That was all anyone, any of reporters would talk about. And all, in fact, they were emailing me saying, what do you think about the Megyn Kelly thing? And I was like, we just won a freaking debate. <laughs> <laughs> the debate we weren't, like, no one even knew we were at. Um, so it got more serious because we really needed that earned media. I think you guys never had the need for the earned media the way that we did your strategy was kind of to go around that. Rubio really needed it. Um, he was counting on it. They didn't even need it. They just assumed they'd have it. And, and we needed it. And so I, we knew that that part was a problem. Mm -hmm. was but we still underestimated and we still thought like, oh, this will be it. Oh, this will be it. The reporters will stay on this one. I didn't realize how smart they'd be to keep Mm -hmm. throwing new chum in the water. Was it a gradual process for you guys of eventually coming to take him seriously? I know, Jason, you said kind of from the I beginning. I still don't take him seriously. <laughs> well, as a threat, as a, as a, as a oh. arrival. Was, oh. there, was there a certain point or was it a more gradual process? Was there kind of a moment, one particular gaffe, scandal, controversy, where you realized that this may be a serious contender, someone who can go to the finish line? 
I do think it was the Megyn Kelly thing for me, a little, that that, that was. In terms of the inability of moments like that to hurt him? It was his announcement yeah. speech. Like, <laughs> are you kidding? That's so from the beginning. It was a disaster, and no one cared. Well, and the reporters weren't even commenting. They were paid actors there, right? Like, he didn't have right. actual people. They were paid, but the reporters were all... They were enjoying this, right? In Romney 2012, it had been such a disaster for reporters to have to report on stump speech after stump speech, both from Obama and Romney. They were bored, so they were tweeting about whether their bags were off the bus in time. And Peter Hamby writes his thing commenting on how that wasn't actually good journalism. And so then they finally get this, what they, I, I believe, thought of that message candidate moment. Right? We can follow this for a little while. It'll be this diversion be yeah. over all, the on-message candidates. But mm -hmm. it's to Jason's point. I think all campaign, maybe not the Cruz campaign, but the rest of us, I think we underestimated the discontent and the anger in America and uh, the just visceral anger over the last eight years and wanting something different, wanting a change agent. And they're like, this guy, whatever he says, I, I believe that he's gonna channel what I want. They didn't care what he said. They thought, they think, that he is going to channel and carry their message. And I think that was underestimated by everybody. Yes, yeah, so as you met, you went to it. Well, I mean, just the only thing I would add to that, I mean, there's the frustration and the anger, but with regard to, because believe me, I, I had the same thoughts. I mean, take him seriously, don't take him seriously, right? But one of the reasons I did take him as a serious threat with regard to the campaign from day one not, was not, it wasn't so much the frustration or the anger of the voters as what was the standard for taking someone seriously. What was the standard, if, I mean, the, these words, you know, the connotation of seriously, how about credibility? I think it's probably the best. Or can I believe as a consumer of this information and a, and a, and a voter what any of these people are saying, right? And so, to different degrees, you know, the, the, the other candidates delivered their messages, and I agree that some folks needed earned media more than others, uh, you know, especially in the beginning. But what, what I think set the stage is that, by and large, there w the, the, the bar was very low for what a voter was willing to believe from anyone. And so, and, and for good reason, right? On the Republican side, you know, if you'll just get, you know, you have the 2010, then you have 2012, then you have 2014, and it's if you just give us a few more votes, if we have a majority on both sides, uh, from the conservatives' perspective, they were promised, they were told, if you'll just give us a few more votes in Congress, will finally do A, B, or C. And again, without regard to whether it was a legitimate or a reasonable expectation for voters to have, the reality is these voters were told that in exchange for your supporting these candidates and delivering a majority, the following will happen. And it didn't. You add to that, I mean, if you just back up and think in, in, in just everything that's happened since the year 2000, right? From dot-com to 9-11, to, to the housing crisis, to the bailout, to the stimulus, the Iraq war, uh, Af Afghan war, et cetera. All of those things and, and how we project on the elected officials who make commitments and then don't follow through, regardless of the reason, whether it was because Obama's in the White House or John Boehner was being pragmatic or practical, throw out the reasons. The reality is people just, at that, in my opinion, voters are just in a point where they're like, you know what? I don't know if Don, Donald Trump's really gonna build a wall, but he's saying he's going to and he's pissing off all these other people. And all the people he's pissing off are the people who promised to do these things and they haven't done a single one sure so. of those things. So as such, I think there was a very different standard for him. He, yeah. he could, I mean, how can you stand up and criticize Donald Trump for saying the things that he's saying when you're coming from a spot where maybe the people that you represented said it in a much more, to use his term, PC way or more civilized way and still didn't follow through? Yeah. So obviously, as you're pointing out, a very volatile environment as just campaign strategists, and Rob hinted at this earlier, what were the strategies that you guys developed from the beginning and how did those strategies evolve over time to try to compete with Trump? Sarah, do you want to start? 
So this wasn't a strategy, but it was a, a moment where you realized the power that Donald Trump had over the media and the race in general was the look at that face moment. Mm -hmm. uh, it was ahead Terrible. of the CNN debate in Simi Valley. We were fighting to get in that debate. The second that happened, you know, it was like, oh, of course she's going to be in the debate. And uh, all eyes were then on us and Donald Trump. But it was because of what Donald Trump had said at that moment. And the first question that Jake Tapper has is on that. And it's not even a question. It, it, it doesn't inform <laughs> policy. It doesn't inform anything about who you want as president. It was, hey, Donald Trump said this about your face. What do you got to say? And that was the question. <laughs> so um, There were a lot of debate questions like that, if I recall correctly. Yeah, a few. <laughs> a few. Uh, and then you'd had various candidates reacting like, I don't want to talk about Donald Trump anymore. And, and that sort of spiraled out of control on both sides. But you saw quite quickly that the media was going to use Donald Trump as this foil for Republicans. Similar, we haven't talked about this, but on the Democrat side, the same thing's happening. The same thing happened. If it had just been Jeb versus Trump, you would have seen something very similar to Hillary versus Bernie. Um, Bernie Sanders isn't Donald Trump in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, they're quite similar. And Bernie kind of controlled the cycle on that side as well. But it, you know, the strategy, no one figured out the strategy for dealing with Donald Trump, clearly. So this idea that there was some winning strategy, obviously there wasn't. We're up here, not out there. <laughs> Jason, what about, what about your campaign? Obviously you guys had, I think, a pretty deliberate approach from the beginning, at least not to engage Trump in an aggressive way, and I think sure. it lasted for months. What was the, the thinking behind that, and then the thinking to ultimately engage him? Sure. So the, the, the first thing I'll say, I, I can't say that this represented the view of the entire team, but... Uh, it, in some ways, it goes back to a question you asked earlier, like when, when did you start to take him seriously in the beginning? I, I recall the first substantive conversation that, that was Senator Cruz and I had about Trump, where you know, the flavor of the conversation was me being asked, what if this is real? About what time was that? It was, I, I wish I could tell you exactly, but it was roughly September, okay. maybe as late as October, but I think it was. We were out by then. <laughs> I don't remember when y'all dropped out, to tell you the truth. September 11th. Yeah, it, it was probably right after Perry. We probably called a meeting to talk about all the votes we were going to gobble up <laughs> after, after Perry dropped out. But, but the, the worst thing that someone like me can say, probably in that situation, but I believed it, was my, 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 the conversation started with, if it is real, there's not much we can do about it. And the reason that I said that was, 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 there were several reasons, but one of them is what Sarah's mentioned a couple of times, and that's the, the role that, that earned media plays in presidentials. Uh, and it's very different than you know, the vast majority of my experience. I haven't worked on several uh, presidentials like Rob. I'm like 0 for 5. <laughs> but, uh, but it's very different. You know, governor's race, uh, attorney general's race, you know, it, it's, it is the, there, I mean, there are, two, there are two indicators that traditionally in primaries uh, have been the most influential on share, you know, vote share, and also the most predictive as to who eventually wins. One of them is who gets the, the majority share of endorsements in the year leading up to Iowa. Well, it was pretty, not, I mean, not completely obvious, but it, it became more and more obvious that, that wasn't gonna, this wasn't going to happen for anybody. I mean, we had 17 candidates. Uh, the establishment, if you will, was pretty divided. They had lots of options, et cetera, so that wasn't going to happen. So the next piece is the role the earned media plays. And it's always been true, and at least in, you know, since we've had TV, that the, largest, the, the single largest source of information for voters in presidential elections, I mean, how much did Jeb Bush's super PAC spend? I mean, 120? 120 million. You know, how much how, do you think those consultants yeah. made? Uh, well, that's probably a different panel that would be Well, they're very not fun. up here, so they're like um, on their boats. But, <laughs> and, and it was obvious for me. I mean, if you know anything about Donald Trump, you know his ability to get a TV. You know his ability to play Yeah, how many TV. times did you all call in to meet the press? Yeah, not once. They didn't let how you many do times were we invited to call in no, to meet the press? Not once. Not once. I, so, think, I, I don't even think we met the press. <laughs> 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 wow. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, to beat up on Patrick, who's, I mean, it's not fair to Patrick, but to beat up on the media for a second, they say that, well, Donald Trump just had a competitive advantage. He it simply heard more earned media. He accepted our requests. That's not true. It's simply not true. Yeah. So, Jason, you, going back to what you said, you guys ultimately clashed with him. I think that was late 2015. I think yep. there were some kind of fits and starts there. Sure. What was the... Um, so the thinking on... The thinking I on think that. what you're getting at is, and there's been a lot of written, like, I saw something yesterday after, after the endorsement uh, that he didn't oppose him when he could have stopped him, and then, when he, you know, all the commentary about what an awful decision it was. And so I'll start with the, the didn't oppose him when, quote, he could have stopped him. Uh, there's no question that we spent a lot of time thinking about how, how to or um, when to engage Donald Trump. And, and what, what informed our decision was, first of all, the, the basic understanding that the voters had a lot of options. And this was before really anyone started tangling with him in, a, in an aggressive or, or meaningful way. Voters have a lot of options. Uh, it's not, as we hear now, a binary, it was not a binary choice, right? And so there, there was, without a question, a decision early on that why would we go out and tangle with him every day? And frankly, it wasn't unique to Donald Trump. It's just that he was the biggest, loudest voice, right? We have, uh, while... Ted had decent name ID. His name ID was not great either nationwide. Uh, so we had a, 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 our immediate goal, build a cruise name ID, uh, attach something to that brand, and, and what will his vision be if you, you actually vote for him? Then, not long after that, folks decided to start in, uh, engaging with him, and it didn't take a PhD in political scientist, uh, science to see exactly what was happening to the people uh, who were gauging. What, when did y'all drop out again? It was September, September 11th. 11th. Right? It was right after that beautiful so, speech. They had a beautiful it, speech. Beautiful speech. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting that well, politicians tend to give beautiful well, speeches right when they drop out. No, but I he, think he, we did the same hey, thing. Whoa, whoa. He gave two pretty good ones before he dropped out. Sure. Okay. A, and I, a, yeah, obviously, you guys were among the first candidates to. Uh, yeah. Perry was among the first candidates to aggressively uh, engage Trump. We did. So we gave a. Perry gave a very thoughtful speech on race yep. relations in America. Uh, like a very thoughtful speech, very well received. Um, and then uh, we did take on Donald Trump. And I think people forget, like, you know, Jeb wants to say he's the only one who ever took him on. We went. We went hard and deep. Like we went, we went after this dude. I mean, we called, we compared him to the Know Nothing Party. We uh, called him a cancer on conservatism. Um, I mean, we gave a very, very <laughs> thoughtful takedown of Trumpism. Um, of it. I mean, it's later on when other candidates sure, decided. Sure, to go they after pointed him back, but but into the strategy of it, like we kind of had to, um, you know. I, w I was working for a guy who was under indictment. Um, I was working for a guy who's a very good friend of mine, and I think he would be an amazing president. Uh, I, you know, I still think he should be president. Um, but he, he also said oops uh, four years before. So we spent, we spent a lot of time like re rebuilding his image, rebuilding his brand, and he, but we had to do this. We weren't raising money, partially because of the indictment. Um, so we were like, this guy, to their point, like he's sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Let's go get some of that oxygen. Let's pick a fight. Yeah. And um, it was kind of our only option, and it, it didn't work. Like we go out and give this really thoughtful deal, and he tweets, uh, that guy wears glasses and he's dumb, and then we're out. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, and I, th I think, I don't know this, but I assume and think that other campaigns of the other 17 were like, whoa, we better think twice before we... Uh, that's where I was headed. Before I mean, we go out and be thoughtful. We, we thought in the beginning, we'll, we'll wait anyway because we believed that we had a coalition sufficient to get us through Iowa. And then along comes Governor Perry and others. And yeah, the results were the results. So it's not as if there were you know, great incentives laid out there from an election strategy point of view to go tangle with him. For us, it was always a matter of timing. And, and I, I, I think this has been written about before. Our issue was, can we get to the end, which we did uh, for the most part. <laughs> I was there. And have it, yes, you were. And you know, I think you're gonna ask us if there was something you could do that was different, maybe that would change the outcome. 
would be inviting the presidential curse <laughs> into, to, onto our bus. <laughs> well, he said you tangled with him. Now Rick Perry could tango with him. Like, I, <laughs> like these guys are just petitions. I work for a dancer. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> but we, we thought in the end, then we, we felt comfortable that once, and this was a mistake because this never occurred, once we got down to the end and it was Cruz and Trump, which we got to that point, and then there was a debate because a debate was the only equalizer to cut through Trump's earned media advantage. We believed, and we'll never know if we were right or wrong, because Trump refused to debate. Well, no one we, pushed him on it. It's not yeah. just Trump. Trump's we, incentive was not to debate. Right. Y'all were counting on and should have been able to count on a lot of other factors right. pushing him to have to debate. Mm -hmm. The cavalry never came. Yeah. And that it didn't That's happen. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah, you mentioned the end there. Yeah. You know, it was kind of, there was that two-month period where it was officially in the race, Trump, Kasich, Cruz. Yep. In your guys' view, it was effectively a two-man race, Cruz and, and Trump. What, uh, this is a question for Jason, but feel free to hop in here if you guys have any thoughts on this. What needed to go right for you guys in that final stretch where it was effectively a two-man race in your view, and what didn't go we right? We needed a debate. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and, and we needed a debate, and we needed to win Indiana, and we accomplished neither. You know, the, the I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, we needed both of those. I, we'll never know. I, 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 still, I, I, I still believe what I, what I said, you know, September. By and large, if this phenomenon is real, there's not a lot you can do about it. You, those are the conditions that are set. You can fight within right. them. Uh, and I think that in order for Cruz to have, have broken through in the end, the only way was for there to be a debate. And that has nothing to do with the fact that he's you know, a so-called great debater. Being a great debater in, in college does not necessarily translate to a, to mm -hmm. a stage you know, running for president. It's simply it's to do with the, the share of media. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go to, back to April and look, the entire narrative was, you know what, this is already over. It's already over. When, when we went into uh, Wisconsin even, Somewhere north, I don't remember the exact percentage, but somewhere north of 65% of the voters who voted for Ted Cruz in Wisconsin, which we won, believed that Trump was going to yeah. win at the end. Yeah. How much was it in the Cruz campaign's case the that the field did not thin fast enough? Because I, th I think about you know former campaign manager, if Jeff Rowe were up here, I imagine he would say that that was one of the, the key problems, that they were, they were relying on the field to thin at a faster rate. Well, I don't think we were ever relying on the, the field to thin. We were certainly attempting to, to clear the field. And hoping. And hoping. I mean, you know, they're, they're you know. But so was every we, other we, campaign. So we did. On this idea that the field would narrow, and the problem was every other campaign was relying on that too. So we all just stared right. at each other. And it did. I mean, it did narrow. I, I mean, be blunt, I never expected the field to narrow before Super Tuesday because, again, for all the, the oh, we have to have money to run TV ads, and you do, and you, have, you certainly have to have name ID. The reality is if you are stubborn and you believe in what you're doing, you could hold on to Super Tuesday. Clearly. The guy who's not here. Yep. Like, I mean... Like, I, did you ever think, I'm sorry, I'm not asking questions. Go for it, that's uh, fine. But, you know, I'm I mean, going to take a seat backstage, actually. Like, I mean, like the Kasich deal, like, that, yeah. I mean, you guys had to cut a crazy deal that came across as a crazy deal. It was a crazy but deal. You, but you had to do it because that guy was still hanging around. Right or wrong? Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so if I don't, you know, I don't ever, I, I don't believe that, it, that I always believe that everything that we do, we can do better, all right? So let me start there. Uh, but if, when I look, and I don't necessarily believe that any decision, if we had made different decisions, would produce a different outcome. But I absolutely believe that our decision to cut that deal with, uh, with Kasich was a, was a mistake because that gave something in real time for the voters that played into the narrative that Trump was uh, pushing, which was, wait for it, that Ted Cruz is part of the establishment. Was that a hesitation you had at the time? I did. 
But, you know, what Rob characterized it properly. I mean, here you are, you've got all these states coming up, you know you're behind the eight ball, you're, you've got all of this, you know, these math wizards on the, the way the, the, the delegates will shake out, et cetera. Put all that crap aside. You're behind the eight ball. You're, you're now in a situation where Trump receives uh, $1.5 billion equivalent of advertising of earned media in 30 days when you get 500 million. You see situation where your voters, even those who are supporting you, they don't really believe that you can win. It's just kind of like their last, you know, Alamo protest vote. Mm -hmm. you're, not in a, you're not in a winning position. And so there was a very healthy debate uh, about whether or not to do it. But yeah, we were all aware that there was risk in doing so. But ultimately, uh, the, the, the opinion that prevailed was, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you need to get Kasich mm -hmm. out of this state. Um, yeah. With high, you know, the, the, the benefit of yeah. hindsight, the one thing that, that I wish I had pressed more uh, was my clear understanding of, of, of races before ours and then all of the evidence within ours that, okay, what we're trying to do is get this guy to not campaign here which essentially really means spend money here. A, he doesn't have a lot of money, and B, the money he spends doesn't make that big this of a Casey. difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casey. Yeah. So I would say it was yeah. a mistake. But, it, but at the time, you know, it, it seemed like a rational play. Mm -hmm. Well, that leads me to my final question. I think we've already talked actually a lot about this topic, but if you could do this all over again, um, what do you think were some of the, the signs you missed? What were some things you would have tweaked in your strategy, if anything? I mean, what is, now that you obviously, it's been several months removed from the primaries, Generally speaking, what would you have done differently? Sarah, do you want to? We had a strategy of the race. Uh, uh, we stuck to our strategy. It turned out that with Trump, it just didn't work. I don't think there was anything, given the fundamentals of the race, that we could have done differently. I think, um, yeah, minus a bunch of candidates, a, a news media that behaved differently those are things that we weren't in our control. I don't think that things within our control would have, would have won. And I don't know that there's, I say that on behalf of everyone, sort of uh, this idea that like, oh, but for our screw ups, <laughs> you know, this right. race would have turned out differently. I wish that were so, I actually do. Rob, but, anything differently you guys have done? I uh, would have not been indicted. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, I mean, look, we had a very narrow lane and we knew it and his announcement was kick-ass. Like, we, we had a very, very strong announcement with heroes, veterans, uh, people who have put their life on the line for this country standing behind us. We had a country rap song to introduce. Like, we did every, like, we came out of the gate. Yeah, it was great, man. We came out of the gate hot. Um, but it just didn't catch on. It didn't work. Um, so I think, yeah, we wouldn't be indicted. But I will add that of all the people on the stage, I actually have won a national, or didn't lose a national election <laughs> in the fall. Dancing with stars, baby. <laughs> Hashtag. And according to the phone call that he, he placed uh, to TC, I think we contributed there. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, Carly and Ted are both avid supporters, so Monday night, please vote for Rick Perry. I'm I mean, uh, it's going to be Dancing with the Stars. What is the hashtag team support our vets? I just want Hashtag we support our veterans. We support our vets. Team we support our veterans. You guys have no regrets about going hard and fast after uh, we had Trump the beginning. We had A, uh, we could look ourselves in the mirror and be proud about it. Two, uh, I, I don't think there was another option because we weren't uh, we weren't getting traction. That was our that was our Mm -hmm. That was our way to do it. Yeah. And Jason, I know you could touch on this a little bit in the prior question, but what would you guys done differently as far as Trump is concerned? Well, as an initial matter, I agree with, with you know, generically what Sarah said. Uh, the, the, the most difficult thing, like personally, for me to accept, I mean, if you're making a decision, uh, unless it's just your lifelong dream, which was ne has never been my lifelong dream, to go work on a presidential, that's a big sacrifice, right, for the candidates and their families, but, but it, you know, it's a sacrifice for everyone. And, and I remember I spent a year researching uh, presidential primaries and general elections, and there was no denying essentially what she just said, which is, yeah, you can screw it up, you can, you know, try to, you know, run against the wind and, and look like a fool, but by and large, the conditions of the election are so big 
All you can do is work within them. Now, you can make mistakes within those fundamentals. But at the end of the day, it's very rare. There are oops moments, and I'm not just jabbing. I mean, there's true. There are moments when, like that. When did that happen? <laughs> but even, even those, though, they're, they're things that there's already a seed of right. truth or perception the within yeah. the voter's mind, and you just prove it to yeah. them. Whether it's true or not, you prove what they think, right? Mm -hmm. So those are mistakes you make. So that's where I start. I, I can't say that if we had only done this, this, and this, Ted Cruz be your nominee. You ran right a hell now. of a race. I, what's that? You ran a hell of a race. Well, we, we tried to play within the fundamentals, but the the deal with, with Kasich, if I had to go back and do it over again, that. And then a very tactical thing, you know, the, the on Super Tuesday. You know, we were constantly, and, uh, as much money as we raised, right, mm -hmm. it's still when you're up against, you're, you're not measuring it against how much your competitor's spending, you're measuring it against how much are they on mm -hmm. Fox News, frankly. You know, we made some decisions late uh, to put some resources in a couple of states that uh, if you, again, if you were in a vacuum and were thinking, had enough time to think about it, you probably wouldn't shift those resources, so maybe we would have won Missouri. Sure. But does that make a difference? Probably not. Yeah, and just one other thing on that as far as messages, this idea that Trump was the only one who figured out where the, the, what the landscape was isn't true either. You guys ran against Washington. You had a great record on, on that. Carly ran as an outsider, which clearly was going to be part of, of that. She ran against crony capitalism. She ran in some sense against both parties as well. So like, the messages were there. Then you get down to these fundamentals that you can't control. If you guys have questions, you can uh, feel free to start lining up. Um, and Patrick, we'll another thing that's kind of ironic, we, the three of us, ended up on the same bus in Indiana <laughs> at the end, like, because... Yeah, we're buddies. I ended, up with Car <laughs> I ended up with Carly, and then Carly was a big Cruz supporter, and we all were there for the trumping of the Republican Party. It's a very fitting way to, to end the, the formal discussion. We can start over here. See what I did there? I see. Thanks, everyone, for being here. In 2020, if it's an open seat, is there an identifiable group of early Trump supporters, and is there a way to appeal to them in the future? So in other words, is there an identifiable demographic of the early supporters, the primary supporters of Donald Trump, the 38% or whatever it is, and how can that demographic be appealed to by future Republican candidates? How do you harness those people how do you harness for the 2020 people? race? Right. <laughs> My mother is one of those people. She voted for Trump in the primary when there were plenty of other candidates in the race. Um, and uh, what's funny about her is she, there, there is no identifiable thing that I could tell her. She voted for Ross Perot in 92. Uh, you know, she's like, damn the man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's what Jason was saying earlier, this I, what he what we now realize, and what you guys, I think, did realize a little earlier on, that there are these promises that keep getting made that don't get kept, and an authenticity element to it, and a burn the house down element to it, um, that then buffers up against, I, I try to tell audiences this as much as I can, normally younger audiences, but I'll say it to you guys, there's this human element to politics that people tend to gloss over. They think that it's all strategy and mechanics and these robots running. They're very human, and people run for office because they believe in something, because they want to make a difference somehow, and so even though you can tell them what the fundamentals are, at the end of the day, there's something they do want to say. There's a reason they're up there. Even if you know all of those things about Trump voters, most people who want to run for president don't want to burn the house down, and and I think we forget that, that they want to make progress on something. I want to get to the next question, but I think this, this may be a theme in, in your question, too, just one you want to answer. Do you see the coalition of Trump voters, even if he loses in November, enduring in, in a way that they're a factor in, in 2020? I mean, what is the durability of that, that coalition right now? Depends on the conditions of the country. I mean, that, that's my response, is that, that you, you have to go back to what is the source whether it's a legitimate view or not, what is the source of the frustration? The part that I think is legitimate is being fed up with politicians who make promises and go to Washington and then stick it to the people. 
That's, that's legitimate. There are other parts that then translate into policy uh, in a very loose way in campaigns that you know, are, are more questionable, but it all goes back to the pocketbook, right? Sure. And so, I mean, if the conditions are the same or worse, knows what that looks yeah. like, frankly. Is it a, it only grows. And right. I don't think any of us or anyone knows what that looks yeah. like, frankly. Kanye 2020. That's <laughs> probably going to happen. Hi. Um, which one is worse to you guys? Hillary appointing um, a Supreme Court um, justice or Trump being the legitimate head of the Republican Party? Sure, the Hamilton problem. And the second thing is, um, what about his tax returns? Yeah. yeah. So we got the lesser of two evils question, and then we have the question of. Uh, it's not just the lesser should... of two evils. It's the, do you own one of the evils? <laughs> exactly. Which and I, you believe you should release his, the his tax returns. The lesser of two evils is still evil, though, right? I believe that <laughs> is part of that. Yeah, the assumption. Well, I mean, I, I, go ahead. I mean, so on the, I'll just go straight to being the head of the Republican Party, and, and go back to a comment I made earlier. Uh, you know, outside of Washington and, and, and think tanks, et cetera, uh, there, there's not a, let's just say, a real high opinion of the Republican Party to begin with. What is the Republican Party? What is the grand old party? Uh, you know, does it actually represent ideals and values and principles? Within the platform, it certainly does, right? Uh, but, you know, translated into actual action and results, there are a lot of folks who say, you know what, the party's already dead. Uh, if your question is, you know, am I as an individual citizen, uh, you know, concerned uh, about, uh, you know, the standard that is set uh, and what that might mean down the road? I certainly am, uh, but I'm not so concerned about what it means for the, quote, Republican Party, because the Republican Party brand, if it had been strong to begin with, then, then my, my belief is it would be impossible or much more difficult for someone to waltz on to the national stage uh, and, and take the positions on issues that he took that without question objectively uh, run counter to uh, some of the, the, the you know, foundational beliefs that have traditionally supposedly existed within the party and then been successful. Sometimes they do, sometimes yeah. they don't. Like he yeah. does both. And, and the tax, the tax return issue. I don't know if the, the person asked the question oh, yeah. itself here. Oh. You, tax did, returns. Did you want to know if they believe the tax return should be released? Yeah. If every interview. Yeah. So if I can just answer the media element of that, if the media between. June and now, in every interview they had, asked Donald Trump about his tax returns, you'd have his tax returns. But he has been very good at that in a way that I think will be studied for a long time by political scientists and others. Uh, uh, what was it, Dave Weigel was quoting someone yesterday and said that the way to um, kill vampires is drop a, you know, a bunch of rice on the ground because the vampires have to stop and count the rice. Like That's what the media has done. Like Every time he just throws something and he's five towns away and they're still counting the rice. Um, they don't ask about the tax returns in every interview. So um, we can talk about whether he should release them as a matter of American democracy, but sure. politically, clearly he doesn't need to. Clearly. Sure. I think we've got time for two more questions. We'll go back over here. Rick Perry released his tax returns. So did Carly Fiorina. <laughs> uh, thank you. Actually, I think my question builds a little bit on the last two questions. I was curious as to what you all's take would be on whether the Republican Party is in a better position to strengthen itself if Trump wins or if he loses? They'll keep asking these hard questions. <laughs> I went first last time. Uh, <laughs> there, there was another piece I didn't say. Uh, sorry. Well, please do. For a little bit of context, <laughs> the, the piece I, I didn't say before was that you know, early in the discussion, there was a lot of comments about the unfulfilled promises leading to a lot of dissatisfaction. I mean, my view is that Trump has made a lot of promises that he's unlikely to be able to meet. So how much does that make it worse for the Republican Party if he wins and fails to deliver versus how the party could work with the Clinton administration to do something that might be different? So I'll take that last part, which is I think that's why you see the same thing happening in the Democrat Party, the hope and change idea that um, a ton of people bought into, not because they're naive, but because 
they wanted to and they were hungering for something like that. And because um, what we saw in 2008 and what we see today, when the vice president isn't running, you don't have a referendum on that administration. I think a lot of Democrats are extremely disappointed in this president for a variety of things. I mean, it's a different panel. But, um, but both sides are getting sick of it. We're a very resilient country. We've made it through two world wars, a civil war. Hell, we made it through Jimmy Carter. Uh, we'll make it through this. I think Ted Cruz said that. It's Rick Perry. It's Rick Perry line, I think. It's Rick Perry. But I may have written it. We'll go back over here. Hi, my name is Jacob. I'm a senior in Galveston, Texas. Um, high school senior. So my question is kind of a two-parter that focuses on the future. So one, in this upcoming generation, uh, what would you say should be good post-Trump? How does campaign management and advisors and strategy change with his random, rapid shakeups all the time? Dude, you should go to business school. <laughs> yeah, have your head examined. I totally disagree. We need more people like him getting involved to fix the screw-ups that the rest of us have made. Uh, please, please get involved in whatever way you can possibly get involved, even if it's in your free time, even if it's not a career. Part of the problem is that we don't have enough people involved who actually care about what's going on. Um, and as far as what I think will happen, I think that there's silver linings to what Trump has caused. I think there will be detriments to what Trump has caused. I think that the, um, uh, the idea that consultants are Svengali's clearly has, isn't true. It never was true, by the way. And I think that... I'm pretty good at it. You're yeah. great. <laughs> you're both. Agent of death. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I think that Trump had, on, on the negative side, I think we do have a reality show politics to this whole thing. And um, if I were uh, cynically advising a candidate, I'd say to go hire a TV producer to decide what we sh you know, should do for our every three-day message, which I don't think is healthy. How do you get involved? Find someone in your local community that you believe in. Find someone, um, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican, Democrat, find someone you believe in that you think is gonna make a change in this world, make a change in your community, make a change in the state, in the nation, and just go knock, go to the campaign headquarters and knock on the door and say, I'm, I'm here to help, I wanna help, put me to work. And no job should be too small. Like if they tell you to make copies, make copies. If they tell you to make phone calls, make phone calls. If they tell you to knock on doors, knock on doors. And someone's going to notice that, and someone's going to know that you're passionate and that you believe, and then that's how you're going to make a difference. I don't, I don't know you guys' full career, but like I licked envelopes. Like you literally had to lick them. Back I took in the a day. dude's dry cleaning. I mean, <laughs> like, I un you, there, was a, there used to be this I thing called. I did that last year. There used to be this thing called a fax machine, and I had to unclog it. Yeah. Like I just stood there and waited for the hotline to come out, and I was like, unclog, unclog. <laughs> We'll, t we'll take just one more question. I know this uh, he's been waiting from the beginning, so let's... Uh, it's a quick one, and it's for Rob. Um, did, the, uh, did Rick Perry's glasses help or hurt him? <laughs> um, but, yes. I, I think it showed that he had a clear vision for America. Yeah. <laughs> Stop right there. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I appreciate everybody following along, asking questions.